And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It's the second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap up the week already. Here we are moving into the middle of August, of course. September right around the corner. Lots happening in September, of course. We have typically one of the weaker months of the year, uh, seasonally speaking, right? That's September, October. That's when you tend to have, you know, kind of bigger downside events that have occurred historically. Why October? You know, Black Monday, Black Friday, I mean, they all tend to occur in October for some reason. It's just that, so it's like a magnet, right? Just attracts bad stuff and you have Halloween. So because the, the weather's nicer. Uh, that's true. Yeah. This is true. Um, but, uh, you know, also, too, coming up in September, we've got um, another Fed meeting. Of course, they'll be talking about, you know, what their next rate hike is. Yesterday, uh, we're going to get a lot more into the inflation data this morning with Michael Leibowitz. But yesterday, of course, CPI came in weaker than expected, came in at a zero print at the headline. And again, we've been talking about for a while now that inflation was likely peaking, and we may have now seen that peak in inflation. But uh, part of that's due to lower energy prices, but homeowners equivalent rent, a big component of the CPI calculation, has not really come down yet. So again, we've got to see some more action there to see, uh, see more disinflation in the environment as we move later to the year. The dollar did drop out of its uptrend. That's also going to help support stronger asset prices near term. Also should provide a support to commodity prices, except for the fact that the Fed is continuing to hike rates, and that tends to be a headwind for commodities. So we have a lot of challenges right now going on in the markets between the Fed is still hiking rates. Yesterday's weaker inflation print did bring down the odds of a 75 basis point hike in September to just 50 basis points. So again, still hiking rates, mind you, still tightening monetary policy here, restricting money supply, of course. We're also still tightening the balance sheet. No real evidence of any change in that dynamic at all. But this idea that inflation is peaking suggests that maybe they'll start to back off some of their more harsh rhetoric, right? More of that hawkish tone to, to uh, the inflation fight. That gave stocks a bit of a lift yesterday. Now, importantly, a couple of things happened uh, yesterday of note. Uh, the S&P did break above the 4,200 level. Now, that was kind of this uh, support level that, or resistance level that we'd seen uh, previously back here in these May-June highs we talked about yesterday. We did break above that. We were in this little consolidation in prices over the last few days kind of leading up to inflation. Everybody was like, you know, not really sure what was going to happen. And so stocks really kind of just moderated here for a few days. Uh, kind of consolidated a bit. And then yesterday on that weaker print stocks, and as we said yesterday morning, if it was a weaker than expected print, stocks would surge higher. And that's exactly what happened. Stocks broke above that, about a 2% update yesterday uh, for the S&P. Again, indicators really kind of across the board now back to very overbought conditions. Um, also suggests here, again, uh, that you know a lot of this upside, this rally that we've had, has really put a lot back in the books. The good news 
is that we now have a lot of bullish sentiment coming back into the markets. The American Association of Individual Investors, those are retail investors that they survey, uh, they were deeply negative about the markets just a few weeks ago. A lot of bullish activity now starting to come back in their sentiment. They're getting a lot more bullish about the markets. Um, also, we're starting to see the, the average kind of increase here in terms of allocations now starting to pick back up again. So a lot of that negative kind of sideline that we saw over the course of the last couple of months because of the decline in the market has now starting to reverse. So as we're starting to see more bullish action in stock prices, we've got the 20-day the above the 50-day moving average. We've got the uh, market back above the 100-day moving average. This now puts the 200-day moving average inside here. And here's kind of an interesting antidote about all this is that we've now completed a 50% retracement of the peak to trough decline. So if we go back to the highs of the market in January to the lows that we just put in, we've now done a 50% retracement of that. That is actually very bullish. Uh, going back in history, anytime the market's made a 50% retracement of that previous decline, new highs are, are in the offing. So you know we're, we're gonna see here how the markets behave over the course of the next few months. But if we continue to kind of get good economic news, um, yesterday the Atlanta Fed, increased GDP estimates for the second for the third quarter to two and a half percent annualized growth so those first two week uh, first two quarters of weakness now starting to show some signs of strength as um, really starting to see a little bit of pickup strong employment report certainly helped in, in that report weaker inflation will also help kind of pave the way here for better economic data as well and so again if we go back in history here's kind of the interesting part about this go back in history and look at markets um, we have not been in a bear market, right? We've been in a correction. Now, what's the difference between a bear market and a correction? A bear market is when prices are trending negatively, right? So the previous bullish uptrend in prices have now been broken and stocks are trending negatively over a, over a fairly long period of time. A correction is a, a market decline that doesn't break that previous bullish trend of prices and then recovers to all-time highs. We're clearly in a correction right now. We have not broken that long-term bullish uptrend that began back in 2009. And with this now 50% retracement of the decline, if the markets do rally back to all-time highs, yep, we've been in a correction. So that's going to be your kind of defining trigger here. So will you know, the, Fed continue, you know, the Fed continuing to hike rates, uh, continue to weigh on asset prices? A lot of this is going to come down to earnings and economics over the course of the next several months. And as particularly as we get into 2023, you know, have stocks priced in the worst of earnings? Yeah, you can maybe make that case on some companies that are down 70, 80% from their peaks, but has the market in general priced in weaker economic and weaker earnings data over the course of the next few months? We don't know that just yet. We'll have to figure that out as we go because the question's now gonna be, again, how aggressive is the Fed in tightening policy? Do they over tighten? Is the economy really in a position to where unemployment is about to become a problem? Are a lot of the more dire economic outlooks that we've talked, even talked about here on the show lately, will those come to fruition or is the economy actually in better shape than it seems if inflation does peak and come down? You see, these are all the questions that we've got to work through here in terms of the portfolio management side of the business, right? So in terms of investing and, and looking at outcomes, there's so many, so many conflicting questions and conflicting data at this point. 
makes it very difficult here to make a really you know, uh, strong case to have a lot of money invested in equities because this market could change dynamics very, very quickly based on a, a change of economic data, a rate hike that goes too far, a whole variety of, of impacts, and not to even mention what happens globally, right? There's a lot of the, the global indicators also suggesting, suggesting more recessionary backdrops into the global economy as well. That will, of course, feed into the economic data here in the US as well. So again, you can make a very good bullish case for the markets technically short term, fundamentally still a problem over the course of the next several quarters, particularly with the Fed hiking rates and of course tightening their balance sheet that's extracting liquidity from the markets. So in the near term, continue to focus on these short term indicators. They are overbought, suggest that this market has probably done a good bit of its rally short term. Where we get a pullback to will be very critical here. A pullback to about uh, 4,000 on the index, which would be you know, right around the 50-day, 20-day crossover. If that is a pullback that holds that support, that will probably be a very good buying opportunity to put some money to work in the markets. A break of that, of course, and we're going to start setting new lows. But again, you're going to need some type of catalyst to start pushing stocks back to new lows at this point because we've now made a, a more bullish transition to the markets. Got a lot to talk about this morning, of course. We'll go through all of this. We'll talk about the CPI uh, data, what it means to the markets, how, how positioning goes from here, and kind of what to be expecting over the course of the next several months. That's coming up with Michael Leibowitz this morning. Be sure and get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for our daily commentary that's out this morning at 7.30. We'll email you if you're signed up for it. And also our newsletter, which will be coming out this weekend. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 617 as we get the uh, show underway. Gregory Foster. Ring a bell? Brent, no? no? Don't know who Gregory Foster is? Set a world record. Set a world record. This He actually set the world record back in uh, November of 2021, but he was just recognized this Monday by the Guinness Book of World Records. I, I shudder to ask what the record is that he set. <laughs> 17 ghost peppers in 60 seconds. Ooh. Oh, man. Now, talk about inflation. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be sleeping on the couch alone for about a month. Wow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I don't, that, you know, there's, there's a part that there's, there's some, you know, records that, you could just go, yeah, I don't really need to break yeah, that record. Yeah, that's he, just, he can that's have just, it. That's just, yeah, that's all. The guy that ate one in 60 seconds like, and, and lived. Good for that, you. That's your record. You'll Nobody will ever need to touch that again. 17. <laughs> Yikes. I, I, I don't, you just must have no taste buds at this point, right? I mean, it's just. Well, at this point, he probably doesn't. Yeah, yeah it just <laughs> has to be completely over with at that. Ooh. That's, that's pretty incredible. Anyway, 
just amazing me. I'll tell you a joke later. Uh, <laughs> All fair. All fair. <laughs> anyway, Michael Ewitz joining us this morning. So a couple of things. Uh, yesterday, um, of course, as I said, you know, we had this initial report of, you know, I shouldn't say initial report. We had the monthly report of CPI. And, you know, this was what you know, markets have been kind of waiting for and, and markets have just been kind of trading sideways for about a week or so, not really making a lot of advance. And, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, the inflation number came in at zero percent yesterday. So that was the headline number and the core was up about two percent, but weaker than expected really across the board. And I thought some of the comments by the mainstream analysts were were quite interesting you know, when you start looking at uh, so principal global investors, uh, this is a textbook bear market rally. Technicals and sentiment drove the upturn and momentum is carrying it for now. Markets have become overly optimistic about the Fed outlook and even the economy. But as we get into quarter four, earnings growth will show clear signs of struggles and inflation will be easing only slowly. Now, take that one, which is one kind of a, a setup that we've talked about here for a while. And, and you kind of, you know, put that uh, you know, against Jim Paulson uh, over who's the chief investment officer at G, um, at Luthol Group. Wow. Finally, this is his quote, by the way. Wow. Finally, the anecdotal evidence that inflation um, was easing has finally showed up in the mainstream inflation report. The Fed is rapidly losing its case for further tightening. And this report reinforces for investors that either a new easing cycle has already begun or we are very close to getting one. So, I mean, two very diametrically opposed views about inflation. And this is the challenge, and this is kind of what I was saying a few minutes ago, you know, at the start of the show. There's so many cases that you can make right now for the markets. I can make a very bullish technical case for the markets. 50% retracement of the entire decline. You know, historically, there's no point in history that I can find so far. <laughs> where the markets have retraced 50% of the previous decline and did not go to new all-time highs, okay? So there's, you know, there's a lot of case to be made bullishly as to why you want to have, you know, money invested in equities. However, you know, again, when you start looking at, you know, the, the reality, the Fed is tightening their balance sheet. They are hiking interest rates. You can make a very strong case, and, and, and economic data, of course, is not great with inflation even at 8.7%. That's still weighing on consumers. Very tough here to make a commitment to owning equities. So, so again, it's just this is the challenge. It's, it's, the, bull, it's the classic bull versus bear case, and the, the reality is, is, is if you don't pick it right, you know, it's got consequences for you. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Um, so what was your, let's just kind of get into the nuts and bolts yesterday. What was, you know, we've been talking about now for several months that inflation was going to peak. We we're going to see some weakening here. What was your initial reaction? Before we go to that, can I just comment on the quotes? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> please go to the question I ask you and stay with the show, please. No, I'm teasing. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> so if you listen to both of those quotes, I didn't hear the word earnings. Right. Right. In theory, we buy stocks because of earnings. You're buying those future sets of earnings. Neither one of them said bullish or bearish said anything about earnings. Both of their uh, forecasts really focused around the Fed. 
and how inflation would affect the Fed. And this is something we've been saying over and over and over again. It doesn't matter. I mean, unfortunately, it really doesn't matter what the fundamentals are. And that's stretching it a little because it does matter. But what matters probably most is what the Fed is doing. Mm. Are they raising rates? Are they lowering rates? Are they taking liquidity out of the markets? Or are they putting liquidity in the markets? So, you know, this is a really tough, tough point because inflation, uh, you know, we've been thinking it's going to peak for the last few months. It probably has peaked. But to be honest, the year over year rate has been between eight and nine percent now for five months running. Mm -hmm. And it's really just like topping. It, it hasn't fallen rapidly. So, you know, it's one thing to say it stopped rising. That's great. But it's still eight and a half percent year over year. That's a massive rate. Now, zero percent for the month of uh, July is great. Let's get that for another year and we're we're home again. <laughs> but 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 that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, when I kind of think about that bull bear, you know, I, I too, like you, Lance, I can make and, I, and we do it all the time when we have our discussions. You know, a bull case gets offset with a bear case, and sometimes we're on one side of the fence, sometimes we're on the others on our debates. Yeah. But but what I focus on is the Fed, and the Fed's tricky. The Fed will lie to our faces and do something else, and they've done that time and time again. But we do know that QT is ramping up to 95 billion this month or early next month, and they're going to be withdrawing basically 95 billion of liquidity out of the markets. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they will raise rates in uh, September. And the question remains, is it 50 or 75 basis points? And they will likely raise rates at the meeting after that, uh, November, or early December. Could be another anywhere from 25 to 75. That's still a little bit too far off. And everything the Fed has told us is that they will continue to raise rates. They're not going to take their foot off the brake until they, they are confident inflation is lower. And they have been humbled, and that's being generous, by inflation. Remember, a year ago, inflation was transitory. When inflation was at 5%, 55 6%, well, it got up to 9.1%, and they didn't see it coming at all. So I think their, uh, their concern about inflation forecast will you know, cause them to stay on the hawkish side. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you look at the inflation number, and what do they, what do they continually tell us? In late July, Powell reminded us that they use core CPI. Core CPI excludes food and energy. And I know we can complain about that all day <laughs> because food and energy is pretty much all we buy, right? If you look at the visa bill, it's food and energy and clothes for my wife. Right. But food, energy, and clothes. Yeah, Amazon. <laughs> but, and Amazon. And the list starts going on and on once you get into it. But, it, but a lot of it is food and energy. And to the Fed's point, the prices of food and energy are volatile, right? We've seen in two years, the price of crude oil has gone from negative, I don't know, what was it, minus $30 yep. to $120. And then just over the last few months, it's gone from 120 to about 90 The price at the, uh, at the gas station has gone from here, it was getting close to $6. And now we can start seeing it near almost $4. So it's volatile. So the Fed says, you know what? We know those things are important, but we strip them out. Let's look at the core. And the core last month was, I believe, it was 6.5. And that was the same as the month before. 
So yes, the volatile items are coming down and we knew that. We've been talking about that for two or three months. We know that used car prices have come down. We know that gas has come down. We know that food commodity prices are starting to come down, although food is not coming down yet in the CPI index. That's right. Uh, the problem is that a third of the CPI number is housing, and it's not really just housing, it's rent. And house prices are coming down. At least there's anecdotal evidence of that. And again, you know, we've, Lance and I have bemoaned this, that it takes a long time for that to hit the data. But rents are still very sticky and not really showing signs of coming down. And as people's rents come due, you know, after a year or two years, whatever their term is, those are going to be increased. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who will see a rent increase. It's just not their time yet. Yeah. And look, and another thing, too, that nobody's really talking about much is wage growth. Um, you know, one thing in particular here is that wage growth has been very strong. And interestingly enough, if you just you know, and, and again, you know, there's a lot of these economic reports that people kind of just gloss over and they don't really pay much attention to them. But the labor productivity report that just came out earlier this week was very interesting because it showed a very sharp decline in, in labor productivity and a big increase in wages. Now, that's also very inflationary, and, and, and there's a very high correlation between those indexes, and particularly with wages, and inflation. Because ultimately those, and, and to your point, Mike, when it comes to the things kind of outside food and energy, a lot of the other things that are getting passed on to consumers are still containing a lot of those wage increases, et cetera. So there's a case here that, you know, while inflation may have, have peaked here, that A, it'll come down slowly, but there's also doesn't anything, there's nothing that actually precludes another ramp up in inflation over the course of the next few months if we don't start to see some of these bigger items like um, homeowners equivalent rent or wages and some of these other areas actually start to come down as those feed back into that inflation calculation. So again, you know, this is one of the challenges here, you know, having, has inflation actually peaked and it's just going to start to go down every month from here, or is this a respite kind of on its way to potentially another bump in inflation before we actually get to the peak, which we may not actually see until 2023 as we start getting these bigger year-over-year -year comparisons. Quick break, come back, pick up with Michael Leibowitz. So we'll shift gears, talk a little bit about allocation, portfolios, investing in this environment, kind of how to navigate you know, where the markets are now and kind of what happens next. Be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, it's The Real Investment Show, talking a little bit about markets, money, 
your money in particular uh investing of course uh the cpi calculation came out yesterday um Ian Jersey from Bloomberg Strategist. Our analysis shows that lower volatility, read that as sticky components of core CPI, may have peaked in July. But the medium volatility sector continues to jump higher. If the low volatility cluster, I know this is complicated, but bear with me a second. If the low volatility cluster, that's the sticky stuff, stabilizes at the higher level, those combined trends may keep core CPI underpinned and the Fed hawkish. The better-than-expected core CPI print will be a strong positive for the Treasury market, particularly in the long end, so the knee-jerk reaction is unsurprising. The strong steepening of the curve likely won't last. However, as the better-than-expected core still doesn't mean it will fall. In fact, although better-than-expected, the core may be stickier than the market seems to be anticipating. And, And that's really the trick here that Mike and I are talking about. There's, you know, again, you can make a case for the bullish argument. Technically, you can make a case. And, and again, you know, the, a lot of the comments yesterday from economists across the, the street were basically, you know, oh, this means that the Fed is done hiking rates. They're going to pivot now. Um, you, know, um, you know, this is a necessary print for the Fed, but it's not sufficient. We need to see more um, as, as the other side of this, you know, equation. So again, you know, both sides of this, you know, argument, you know, depending on how you kind of lean personally, you can make a case for investing capital. The problem is, is uh, as is always the case, is what if you're wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you go all in here expecting markets to, you know, uh, for the Fed to pivot and, and stop doing what they're doing and turn dovish and start doing QE. And if they don't, you know, you risk capital. Uh, the other side of the equation is, is you sit tight, you don't do anything, you stay bearish on the markets and, you know, the markets keep running higher because, well, they can do that. We've got roughly $13 billion a day coming into markets over the course of the next week from stock buybacks. Um, we've got 90% of the S&P 500 reporting. And so now everybody's starting to push their, their earnings estimates out into the next quarter. And, you know, we've got a lot of stock buyback announcements. And that's been a strong underpinning for the market. You've got a lot of negative sentiment. You've got a lot of cash sitting out there by money managers who are underweight equities, and you've got a big short position on equities because of the decline. Those are, and a lot of this rally over the last few days has been short covering. We've seen a lot of short covering over the last couple of days, uh, in particular, and that's that's driving the market. So as the market goes higher, it drags more and more investors back into the markets, but that isn't sustainable long term. So see, there's these challenges, right? So. That's the question that Mike and I are discussing this morning is, was, you know, how to navigate this. Because, again, there's, there's, we need to make money. We need to be invested. We need to grow our capital. But how do you do that um, in such a, shall we say, unstable environment where, you know, things can change very quickly. And with a market that's as fickle as it's been as of late, um, one economic data point to the next can, you know, lead you to have either a 2% advance or a 2% decline in a single day. You know, and that, that kind of volatility is tough to navigate. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, it, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, you and I kind of debate it. Sometimes we're on the same page. Sometimes we're on a different page every day. But I debate it internally. Maybe we should be more bullish. Maybe we should be more bearish. What's going on? And the one thing that I keep thinking about is spring of 2020. COVID hit in early March of 2020. Market dropped significantly. The economy shut down and uh, to a degree that, 
you know, we didn't even see during the Great Depression. I mean, it was literally shut down right. in, in so many ways that are just unthinkable that that no one would have predicted. And the economy was a disaster. Unemployment rate dropped immediately. What did it get to minus uh, to uh, 13, 16 percent? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable. I still remember the New York Times had that one graph where the unemployment rate took the whole, you know, it was like this, and then it just shot up and it took the whole page of the front page of the New York Times. So, you know, I mean, it was unprecedented, but what happened in late March and through the spring of 2020 was that the Fed came in with their, their you know, came in with their, their cavalry and they added, you know, two trillion, a trillion and a half of liquidity within two months. There was some fiscal stimulus liquidity flew into the system. Mm -hmm. And the market from that point on just took off. Didn't matter that the economy, even in June or July, was still in shambles. Didn't matter that we had no idea what COVID was or that everyone was scared and staying in their houses and not going out. And that travel was pretty much not even, no one was traveling. I mean, just not going out to restaurants. You know, I mean, it's just fundamentally, that situation was awful, but liquidity wise, it couldn't have been better. I don't think there's ever been, there's never been a situation with that much liquidity flowing through the markets. So, so, you know, as I kind of weigh all these bullish bearish arguments, and there are a lot of good bullish arguments, a lot of good bearish arguments. And, you know, we can talk about CPI, we can talk about GDP, employment, um, What's going on with Russia, Ukraine? What's going on with China, Taiwan? Our relation, U.S.'s relationship with Russia and China, and we can debate that stuff all day, and that may help move the the meter a little bit. But again, I keep going back to liquidity. So it's what will the Fed do? Will they back off? And there's two forms of backing off of the Fed. The market keeps talking about Fed stalling, Fed pivoting. That's just in relation to interest rates, and that it that partially does. Uh, help or hurt liquidity. But what no one is talking about is QT. That's where the Fed is reducing their size of their balance sheet, again, by $95 billion a month. That's a huge amount. They were adding 120 a month at one point, which mm-hmm. is even more you know, crazier. But they're still going to be taking out $95, tri- $95 billion a month. And you know, that for me, that tips my scales. It doesn't mean I'm over bullish and we're going to sell everything and sit on cash and wait for doomsday to occur. <laughs> but but as we, we have these discussions, it keeps a constant skew, to my opinion, to the bearish side, because when the Fed removes liquidity, it's bearish. When the Fed adds liquidity, it's bullish. And so that's how I skew my opinion. But it doesn't mean that the market can't have a Lance isn't going to call it a bear market, a correction mm-hmm. market rally, a bear market rally right. that we can't go up to 4,500 on the S&P, which is another 300 odd points higher from here, you know, called seven, eight uh, percent because fear of missing out sentiment, all those things in the short term can dwarf liquidity in the very short term. But, you know, when you're looking out months, you know, two, three to six months, I think liquidity is going to win the day. So what's the Fed going to do? I know, and that's and that's the big question. You know, what's the Fed going to do? And it, and it's interesting because, you know, there's so many opinions, right? I mean, we were just talking about, you know, the Fed's going to look. The Fed is going to hike rates in 
in, in September, right? I mean, that's just a kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. So that's going to get us to about 2.75 on the on the Fed funds rate. Then, of course, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, they'll stop there, right? That's going to be the that'll be the last rate hike, and they're gonna they're gonna pause at that point, kind of wait and see what happens with inflation. But you've got people, you know, inside the Fed itself, um, you know, Neil Kashkari, among others. And, of course, uh, just recently, the, the, even the, the uh, St. Louis Fed president coming out talking about they need to get to three and a half to four percent. So that certainly doesn't argue that they're going to be slowing rate hikes anytime soon. Maybe they cut back and only doing 50 basis points a, a, a session or maybe 25, but they're still going to be hiking rates. And, you know, as long as and again, I, you know, I think kind of what the market may be missing is that all of a sudden the markets have kind of become accustomed to, okay, 8% inflation. Okay, it's 8% inflation. That's good. We're, we're okay with 8% inflation. 7% would be great, but 8% is good. The Fed wants to get to two, right? Uh, it, you know, if the Fed wants to get to two and inflation is only coming down slowly and, and, and inflation is still running at 5 6 7%, you know, by the end of this year, I find it hard that they're going to sit there and go, well, we'll stop here at 2.75% and just kind of see what happens. Right, right, Lance. If you t if you just strip out gas or energy out of the the number yesterday, mm -hmm. the monthly number would have been up between 0.4, percent. Yeah, that's five to six percent on an annualized basis. Just, you know, that's the effect that energy had. It went from you know point I think it was point four and a half to zero. Right, and that was a huge drop, and we saw that drop, and we knew that drop was coming, but how much of that? is already factored in was it you know what point of the 100 120 a barrel to 90 a barrel was caught all in one month right. so now if we just stay at 90 a barrel it's not adding but it's not subtracting mm -hmm. from cpi either right and again this then we go back to wage growth we go back to housing homeowners equivalent rent and and you know those those may start to to stabilize but there's not big evidence of those coming down just yet right there's still kind of this uh tailwind push in those prices and and it's going to take a while before we start to see those rents come down which is going to take longer again this is just the, the argument goes back to the fact that if you're if you're betting your allocation right now on the fact that the fed is about to and again i'll go back to jim paulson um you know from uh Luthol group saying the fed is already starting their easing campaign if we're not you know if not about to start one and, and there's really, you know, that's what you need to have this return of the bull market, so to speak, where you just allocate 100% of your money to stocks and, you know, going down the road. You know, from the look of it, it seems like markets are really kind of getting back ahead of themselves again, especially in the more speculative areas of the markets. You know, again, we've talked about meme stocks, you know, taking off here recently. A lot of the most beaten up stocks having big rallies, stocks like AMC, GameStop, you know, Coinbase, others. Um, you know, retail investors likely taking on a lot more risk than they realize, given the fact that, again, what, and what we'll come back from break and talk about is earnings as we start to go through the rest of this year. Don't go away. Be right back on The Real Investment Show. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, get ready to wrap things up. Want to shift our focus. So talking about inflation, of course, you know the, the the challenge here is investing in this environment. You know how much risk do you take on? Do you believe that inflation is peaked? If you do, then if you believe inflation is peaked and the Fed's about to reverse course, then you need to be buying stocks. Um, however, you know the other side of the argument is is that there's very little evidence here that inflation, while it may have peaked is not going to come down sharply enough at this point to get the Fed to back off of hiking rates. And, and there's certainly no indication that they're in any rush not to stop reducing their balance sheet. They don't like having a $9 trillion balance sheet, right? That's, you know, that's not really where they want it to be. And you know, so them wanting to reduce their balance sheet, there's, they, they need to get that number down so they have the ability to use that tool you know, in the future, and this really kind of goes on a couple of different fronts, right? They need to get interest rates up enough that they've got some room to lower interest rates to combat the next recession when and if it shows up. And the same thing for the balance sheet. And so there's no indication right now that from the bullish standpoint that the Fed's going to be doing anything other than what it's doing right now. Um, while they may stop hiking rates at some point, certainly doesn't mean they're going to start cutting rates. And if you go back and look at the 1970s as a good example of this, the point where you wanted to buy stocks was when the Fed started cutting their rates. And the reason they were cutting rates is because the economy was dropping into a recession. That's why they cut rates, right? They're, they're using that policy tool to bail the economy out. That's when you want to start buying stocks. When they start doing QE and cutting rates, that's where you want to be buying stocks. Until then, though, stocks tend to be under pressure. But I wanted to shift this focus a little bit to, to earnings because we're just wrapping up earnings season for quarter two. Um, again, it was an interesting earnings season from the standpoint that earnings weren't as bad as expected. Now, the real question is, is how long can you keep rallying on not as bad as expected? Let me give you a good example. This morning, Disney reported earnings after the bell yesterday. And stock's going to be up about 8% today. Now, the stock's been beaten, beaten down, beaten to death. This is one of the, you know, kind of the, the, the meme stock group, right? The, the retail traders, they love Disney. And stock's been really beaten up because of the whole, you know, downturn in the markets and the economy, et cetera. Now, Disney reported earnings yesterday and the stock's up now. So this is what was interesting. They reported Disney's, Disney Plus subscribers, um, $152 million. That was a 31% year-over-year increase, beating estimates of $148 million. So pff, that's a pretty good number, and that's why the stock is trading up. Now, remember, Netflix has lost 3 million subscribers. They lost 2 million in the first quarter. They lost a million in the second quarter. Disney's still gaining subscribers at this point. Now, they lost one yesterday because I canceled my Disney Plus membership because they raised their fees. And, there's, and, and given the fact that I've now watched the entire Marvel movies like six times with my kids, and my kids are now off to college, um, we're not going to be doing that anymore, and the new Marvel sucks. So there you go. <laughs> so they down one subscriber already, making a dent. Um, but here's what they said. But here's the more important part about what they said after the bell. Their subscriber forecast 
Okay, now now remember, what did we say about their subscribers? 152 million subscribers. That's what they reported for the second quarter. What did they say about 2024? Their subscribers into 2024 will be 135 million to 165 million. So, in other words, if I'm already at 152, getting to 165 is not that big of an increase over the course of the next year, right? They did 14 million in one quarter, right? So what they're telling you, and, and, and if you go the other way down to 135 million, well, that's a loss of subscribers. That's not good. So really the forecast for Disney is not that great. Certainly doesn't justify an 8% bump this morning, but you know, that's, that's what markets are doing right now. It's right, you know, retail investors chasing stocks. But this is the thing that we need to be paying attention to now going forward because, again, stocks rallied in this last quarter because of not as bad as expected. Now we've got to get back. You can't keep rallying stocks on not as bad as expected. Going forward, we've got to start beating better than expected. You know, they've got better than expected earnings. That's going to be a little different change, particularly as high inflation. And this is the problem with inflation, right, at 8% or even at 7%, inflation at 6%, inflation at 5%. The economy's not geared because of the debt levels of consumers and, and you know, the ability of, of wages to meet, you know, spending needs, et cetera, real wages are still negative. So even an economy running at 5 6 7%, that's going to impact consumption. That's 70% of the economy. Where do earnings come from? Earnings come from consumption. So the real risk for the markets over the course of the next quarter to two to three is going to be a disappointment in earnings. Look, earnings estimates are coming down. But there's and, and I just looked at I've got to update my uh, analysis on the website here in the next few days. But I just took a look at S&P's earnings. And in the last month, earnings in 2023 have gone from like two hundred and forty dollars a share to two hundred and ten. So there's already been a big drop in earnings estimates, and those are likely going to get worse. But let me let me throw this over to Mike for a second, get his thoughts. Mike, what do you think? Well, I think you nailed it right there. 70% of the economy is the consumer. So what's the consumer doing? We know, first of all, that they are getting uh, raises to the tune of about 5%. But inflation, even with yesterday's glorious numbers, is still 8.5%. So they're really getting pay cuts of 3 to 4%. But here's what's important, that the, the consumer has been able to keep up consumption because of savings, because of credit cards and... Uh, I was going to say mortgage refinancing, but that ain't happening anymore. <laughs> but if you look at saving, personal savings is down to 12 years, 12 year lows. So what has a consumer done? They've drawn down their savings and they've consumed. But the problem is, as you look forward, what can the consumer do with their savings? There are no savings for a good chunk of, of consumers. So that money cannot be spent anymore. Right. So mm -hmm. what do you do? You go to your credit card. And we find that credit card usage, new credit cards, everything about credit cards is soaring right now. So so they ran out of savings. And there's a generalization, but they kind of ran out of savings. They're leaning heavily on credit cards, but credit cards have maxes. And believe it or not, most people don't pay down their credit card monthly. They keep a balance. So wait, wait, I, point, I thought everybody just, you know, ran up like, you know, twenty thousand dollar credit card bills and paid them off at the end of the month. Well, Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> no, but here's an interesting thing, Lance. I think we talked about this a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. maybe even before COVID. They, the credit card, my credit card, and I, I have a great credit rating and nothing has really changed. They dropped my credit limit. 
that they they brought it down and they were doing it across the board. Capital One said said something in a press release that they were actively bringing down people's limits. No, they just brought down yours. They, they just, just said not. they just said everybody because they didn't want to offend you. But it was just you. Just because of my and it's yeah. something about an affiliation <laughs> to Lance Roberts. I didn't. Yeah, fully that, that'll get you it. every time right there. No, but bottom line is, you know, as you use your credit card more and more, you have limited space on the yeah. credit card. But it also becomes a tax, right? You get that the bill for the for the for the credit card, and eighteen percent. If interest. you are running a balance, the the expenses and fees are enormous. But you still and you have to make those payments. So again, it is a source of spending, but it's a limited source of spending with a tax yeah. that that hits the your consumption in the future, being the fees and interest and in repaying the uh, debt. So. So, yeah, but, the consumer has used credit and savings, but how much more of that is left? And that that's where this whole well, and that's what let me, let me interrupt you real quick here because it's a really important point uh, that you're making. And you know, when you see a lot of there, there's a lot of economic data points that get thrown around in the media, like debt to income ratios and you know household savings and these type of things. And what's important is is that this is very much skewed. To the higher income earners, and in fact, just a real-time story. Yesterday, right. um, we had a conversation with a major credit card user, uh, or issuer here in the United States, and and we were talking to them about you know their demographics and kind of what's going on, and and they made a very interesting comment about it, which was that you know where they lose, they kind of lose money on the group of, of demographic, the ones that we would be interested in, you know, as as investor managers, right, or investment managers, you know, we're looking for those higher income earners with savings. Um, they go, yeah, you know, we have this group that pay off their credit card every month and we lose money on them, right? That's because by the time we give them the rewards, you know, on their credit cards, because they're, you know, charging and then paying it off, we kind of lose money on that group. But since they have other assets that, you know, they make larger purchases and this type of thing. So, you know, they're okay, you know, but the large group of our, you know, where we make our money is on those that keep a revolving balance, right? And and when they get, you know, as they keep that revolving balance, that's where we really make all of our money. Uh, but, you know, so when you start, and so my point here, Mike, is that when we look at a lot of these statistics, we really have to, to, to step back. When you see a thing that says, you know, debt to income ratios for households are at, you know, at, you know, the lowest level in 20 years, it's not, the case. It's only because that top 10 or 20% of income earners is skewing that data because they have a lot of savings and right. income and they have no debt. They paid it all off during the during the the, uh, the economic shutdown. The other 80%, they're up to their neck in debt and adding on more right now. I agree. And I, I think it would be amazing if you could pick like 10 people, Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates, and seven or eight cohorts of theirs that are, you know, hundred billionaires. Mm -hmm. And you could just pull their data out. How much would it affect savings? How much would it affect yeah. debt to income? And I think even if it moved it by a couple tenths of a percent, that's amazing that 10 people can overshadow how many, you know, yeah. 250, 300 million kind of adults. Yeah, no, I think if you pull out the one-tenth of 1% 1 or even the 1%, that all those ratios look drastically different. But, right. Go ahead, uh, last they, word, you got about two two minutes, about about 30, so about 30 Gates seconds. Bill and Elon Musk don't steer the economy. <laughs> they, they certainly buy a lot of stuff, but they're not marginally buying more or less because of inflation or because their stock went up or down or because they yeah. got a little bit of a raise. Yeah. So that's not what we care about is the marginal 
change in consumption and the marginal change comes from those that consume the most of course as a percentage and, uh, of their yeah, income, exactly. and that's the lowest yeah that's exactly right of course you know uh, uh, elon musk just sold a bunch of billion dollars worth the seven billion dollars worth of stock so maybe needs some money all right that wraps up the show for the day be back tomorrow for the next edition of the real investment show right here uh, stay tuned into our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Ask your questions, comments, emails. Check out simplevisor.com, our fully digital research platform, and of course, our newsletter and daily commentary. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.